0: the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is Blaylock! He will score! And the Dogs rock it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the the right right place. place. It's third down. Rice Young's career, You need ten, play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone, and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Classic City Sports Podcast. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams got a good one for you as Georgia went down to Jacksonville yesterday and had a dominating performance after not having Brock Bowers, not having the the certainty in that position group right there. You got to see what other guys could do. So we got a lot to talk about with that. The uh, new playoff rankings will officially come out on Tuesday, so we'll see where Georgia lines up there. So we're going to talk about that a little bit ahead of that and uh, we'll see where it goes from there but Jonathan how are we feeling after that nice win
2: down in Jacksonville yesterday shoot how could you be feeling anything other than good after last after yesterday's win 43 yeah. to 20 you take that every single day of the week especially against a rival like florida 23 point win you covered the spread i know a lot of georgia fans that begin after that i don't think a lot of georgia fans were confident that the bulldogs would cover 14 and a half points in that one i predicted that they would cover the spread and they more than covered it so i love seeing that other than the first drive touchdown from Florida, which a lot of teams have had a success against Georgia on the opening yeah. drive because you can kind of script things up a little more than you can in the middle of a football game. Georgia was fine. They were a fine two machine, especially on offense, which we'll continue to talk about in the absence of Brock Bowers. Defense played phenomenal. Just an all-around great win and a great opportunity for Georgia to kind of prove themselves, you know, in a game where it may be an unranked opponent, but Georgia had plenty to prove, especially like you mentioned with the college football playoff rankings coming out this week for the first time of the season a great opportunity to just kind of make an exclamation point of like, yeah, we should still be the number one team. We are the best team in the country still and proved everybody wrong of kind of how many people thought the offense might be a little shaky. That was so far from the truth.
1: Yeah, it definitely wasn't. It was one of those things that Georgia just came out there and did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, a lot of what we talked about last week, last Sunday was, you know, who's going to get the ball without Brock Bowers being in there. And obviously one of the names that we brought up was Lad McConkey, and not saying that we thought he was going to have 135 yards, but we knew he would make an impact if he was healthy. And it looked like after that bye week, he was fully healthy for the first time this season. And you could see the impact that he has in that offense when he's able to go like that. And when you have a guy like Brock Bowers come out, you need him in that lineup as well. You need Ladd McConkie being him uh, to come back into that lineup and be able to do what you need because – Honestly, Georgia's offense didn't look like it missed a single step without Brock Bowers. And that doesn't take anything away from what Brock Bowers does. But we've watched, you know, fans across all, you know, college football say, well, Georgia's entire offense is sculpted around Brock Bowers. And clearly that's not true. Georgia's capable of of doing exactly what they do with Brock Bowers by getting the ball to other guys when he's not there. So it was really nice to see Ladd be able to step up and be 100%. I think it was six catches for 135 yards, and obviously yep. he had a couple really big plays, one being the 41-yard touchdown, where he just turned back after catching it and turned on the Jets. I mean, his speed is really underestimated, I think. And it's it's crazy when you look at the guys, you know, as small as he is, he's that electric with the ball in his hand, and people just can't seem to get a, get a
2: hold of him. The Ladd's been one of the most electric players for Georgia on offense, even with Brock Bowers on the field over the last three years. We we know what Lad McConkie is capable of. We've seen what he's been yep. able to do on the football field against SEC opponents, but he still is just one of those players that no matter how many times you see him do it, it just continues to amaze you at how good he actually is. Like You might think that Oh, he's a little five foot eleven gadget player. Like he might get a little few fluke plays where he can get over the top of defense. No, that's not all Lad McConkie does. Now he is great in the double move scenarios where he can take the top off of a defense, but we saw what he did against Florida over the middle of the field. I mean, a deep over route. Carson Beck redirects him, basically stops him, put it on his, puts it on his back shoulder, lad plants his feet, changes direction, and just burns everybody for a touchdown. Like Typical wide receivers don't just do that. Like that's not something you just walk yourself into. That is because Lad McConkey is a great wide receiver. He he's an elite level wide receiver, and he, it's why I didn't think that Georgia's playmaking ability would take a shot with Brock Bowers out you no know, out of the equation anymore. Because I even made a bold prediction. I was like Lad McConkey is going to have a forty plus yard reception against Florida. He had one early in the football game, and then he had another one later in the football yeah, game. So he had two. two he creates explosives for this offense and another reason why I didn't think Georgia's offense would take a hit is because this was an offense that was getting like 10 guys at, at, at a time in and in one yeah. seeing their game receptions they were getting different guys touches and Mike Bobo is just so creative with his offensive game plan something that you and I both mentioned last week during um, our episode is we were interested to see what they would do with Dylan Bell now that you don't have Brock Bowers they put him at the x position and Beck threw an absolute dime to him in the left corner yeah. of the end zone for a touchdown. So you're just seeing how creative Mike Bobo is in this offense of getting different guys in different spots. Dominic Lovett played well. We saw some big plays from Robert Thomas. I mean, you could just go on and on about the list of players that made some plays for Georgia on Saturday, and that's why they continue to be elite and why they're one of the most efficient offenses in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's another game where Carson Beck goes over 300. I think he had 315. It was uh, 19 for 28 or something like that, so 7 yeah. percent again. And just lighten it up, and everybody, you know, was worried about him going into this game without necessarily having Brock Bowers as kind of a safety net. But like we mentioned before, was you know on third downs, yeah, Brock Bowers gets the ball, but he went to Lad McConkey a lot on third downs. You know, Rosemi Jack Saint got the ball a lot on third downs. Like these guys were making big plays even while Brock Bowers was there. And Mike Bobo, you know, I think we, I think we've gotten past it as a Georgia fan base where everyone's sitting here thinking he's. You know the Mike Bobo that they all despised back in the day. With now, I don't. You don't really hear that much about it anymore. When George is going out there and doing what they just did, and honestly, you know he, he's doing a lot of the same stuff that we got from Todd Munkin. It all looks very similar. Like I think Kirby Smart came out and said it a few weeks ago: "Was this is the exact same offense? You just got to see. You know things start to click, but it is the exact same offense, and I believe it. I mean, we go out there and win by twenty three points. I think." And, and shout out to Dan and, and Harrison in the comments I, I went on their show you know on Tuesday and I was talking to them about it and they asked my score prediction and I said you know my score prediction was Georgia by 21 so it was 35 to 14 is what I had predicted but it ended up being 23 points and it looked a little bit different than it was than it was going to in my head but the biggest thing I said was you got to play clean football you got to go out there. You can't have those fumbles that Georgia's had a bunch of this year. You can't be throwing picks, especially early in the game. And you saw how that impacted Florida when they went for it on fourth and one or fourth and inches, honestly. And you know that that was a, a getting too creative. You, you you're getting too cute in the situation. I mean, just quarterback sneak it, and you probably get it. But instead, they snap it between the quarterback's legs and try to go direct snap to to Trevor Etienne. And it gets completely blown up. You, you get too cute with things, and you start overthinking this game. And all of a sudden, you're in a hole, right? And then so then Georgia turns the ball over with a fumble in the second quarter and scores right off of that. And then the block punt, all of the stuff started unraveling. That's the stuff that you cannot let happen to you when you go down to Jacksonville because – when it starts, you give the, even if it was Florida, if Georgia did all of those things that Florida did, Florida would have been winning that game at halftime because you cannot overcome that many mistakes that early in a football game in a rivalry game like that.
2: No, yeah, and honestly, I don't even know if that was a bad play call from Billy Napier. And I know maybe getting a little too cute with it on fourth and short, but. Georgia is also just so disciplined, and they their eye discipline is great. That's you know that's why that makes them such a good defense. And I know maybe that works on most other teams, but against Georgia, it's not going to. Smile Munden was in the perfect position. Yeah. The secondary, if you watch the all twenty two from that clip, everybody knows exactly where they need to be on that play. They were almost like they were ready for it. So I I don't know if it was a horrible play call. It's just you probably ran it against the wrong defense. You know, Florida tried to run quite a few different trick plays and variations against Georgia. You know, some double reverses. One where they, I think they double reverse and they tried to. Well, they're always on top of things. And even if you do have you have some type of success with it, it might be for like a 10 yard gain at most. They're typically on top of those things. And one thing Georgia does is they're a bend, don't break type of defense. And so if you are going to go down the field and score against them, you're going to have to do it in eight plays, nine plays. They're not going to allow you to just chuck it up one play, score touchdown. That's just not who they are. So, yeah, getting into the defense a little bit, I thought they played great. You know, one thing that Brooks mentioned on our show during the bye week, I think it was, or leading up to the Florida game, is he mentioned that maybe JDJ was not completely healthy during the first part of the season, which – kind of everybody started to figure when it's like, what the heck? Ten does not look like he did last year when he was our starting linebacker, and now you kind of got to see him in on the playmaking ability that he is capable of. Defensive line was getting after it. Great to see TID out there on the defensive line making plays. Marvin Jones Jr. Hearing yeah. some new names up front in that front seven as always great, In the secondary just did their thing like they always do. You know, Graham Mertz didn't even play bad, but Georgia just no. made it seem like that Florida's offense was playing horribly.
1: I mean, Graham Mertz still went out there and threw for 230 yards, which that's a solid start from a quarterback. He didn't turn, he didn't throw any interceptions. He did have that fumble, but it goes back to, you know, it's one of those things that you can't blame it on the quarterback. He's, he's throwing the ball and then the ball just gets taken straight out of his hand while it's, you know, it's, he's, he's got it pulled back to throw and, I mean, you can't put that on the quarterback. He played a good game. He was finding guys, and he was leading that that offense successfully. And now, it, it kind of a lot of those yards, I think, did come in that second half or late in that fourth quarter. You know, they scored their last two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And as I was watching that game back, because I was down in Jacksonville, and when you're there, you, it's kind of hard to see who all's in the game, all that kind of stuff. But if you go back and watch those last two drives by Florida, that they scored a touchdown on. A lot of backups started to come in that game, especially in the secondary. You know, you started seeing. Uh, I think AJ Harris was out there on the last mm-hmm. one. Uh, Humphreys was out there, and uh, even uh, David Daniel Sissavant was out there. Like you had, a, you still had, you still had Starks out there for a little bit, and some guys like that. But you started to get a lot of your backups into the game and I think that's where it starts you know kind of letting those yards build up because they had a couple of really good drives at the end of the game I think the last one was a 12 or 12 play drive for 75 yards and you know it's it's okay to allow that when you're honestly at that point George is up by 30 points or whatever it was and you're just letting that clock keep going like they can take a 75 yard drive in 12 plays it's like what you were saying a second ago if you're going to score you got to be able to put together a long drive and that's what they did late in that game but I honestly, I don't think Georgia was upset with it because it was taking a, that that clock down more and more. And then Georgia obviously had a nice little death march themselves, where they had about a six minute touchdown drive or something like that in that fourth quarter as well. So uh, the defense played phenomenal from top to bottom. You know, you didn't really have any weak links out there. They they were you know picking apart late, but honestly it was it was a solid performance scoreboard looks a little different than it would have probably if the game was still closer you know and Georgia kept their starters out there and kept playing aggressively like they had been in the first three quarters of that football game because if you take away that first drive like you said a minute ago it's very scripted they know exactly how to kind of attack you and then after that Georgia gets to adjust and Florida has to then adjust to what we're doing and it, it kind of that first
2: drive you know you can have it kind of thing and then Georgia took over after that. Yeah, you know those late scores that kind of happen against Georgia? At this point, I think Georgia fans at least, they almost kind of had the sense of like that almost didn't even happen. You know, while the scoreboard might say that Florida scored 20 points, in reality, Georgia fans still feel like, okay, they only scored 14. Like that's still kind of how it feels. That game was – A lot more lopsided than a late score was, but you know, it still counts in the stat book. It's going to count against you, whatever. That's fine. Still win by 23 points. So, nonetheless, great day of the office for the Bulldogs. And, and, you know, I saw something interesting today going kind of back to the offense and Mike Bobo in general. So, Georgia, this is the third time over the last like 20 years that Georgia has averaged 40 points per game on offense. It happened in 2014 when Mike Bobo was OC, happened last year in 2022, and then also happened this year, of course, in 2023. Mike Bobo has been a part of all three of those staffs now that might be a coincidence that he was there in 2022 because Mike Boba or because Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett and all those guys play phenomenal they continue to have a great game plan week in and week out and they were really close to averaging 40 points per game in 2021 but I mean obviously when the guy is on the staff when he is around good things happen and that's continued to be the case this year and I'm going to kind of go for up to bat for Carson Beck real quick not to say that I think that he is going to win the Heisman, but I think it is time that we start putting his name in that top four range. I think he is playing at a top four quarterback in the country right now. He is he has the numbers to back it up. I looked it up today. Carson Beck is leading all quarterbacks in the entire country for passes th- for y- passing yards in the third quarter. Every single one. He is leading every single quarterback in the country for yardstone in the third quarter. He's the best quarterback in the country on third down. He plays on time. He plays efficiently. He is continuing to put Georgia in great spots to put points on the board. You know, Brooks said on his show earlier today that. Every time Georgia touches the ball, it's like you know they're going to put up points on the board because that's how the offense is designed. That's how it's scripted. I think they're averaging like 8.4 yards per play on offense. That's just stupid to think about. I mean, 8.4 yards, that is staying on time. That is moving the sticks consistently, and a lot of that has to do with how number 15 is playing. He has a little over 2,400 passing yards right now. He's on pace. If Georgia continues to play 14 games, maybe 15 games, he's going to break sets and bend his record of 4,000 yards and he's going to do it again. So I think that's a guy that we need to start talking about. Of He needs to have a seat in New York. If he continues to play like that, and he continues this stretch of throwing for th- over 300 passing yards each and every week like this, I think this was his third straight week doing so. Dude, that's, that's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, no doubt about it.
1: I mean, I think some uh, he threw for 315 this weekend, and I think his average on the season is 308 or somewhere in that general range. So he's averaging over 300 yards a game right now, and just making it look easy, right? Like you don't go out there and look like he's throwing a lot of like contested balls. He's he's finding the guy in the in the you know the pocket of the defense and putting it right where it needs to be. Kind of like what you were saying earlier. You know, he threw that ball to Ladd, He put it on his back hip. I know Brooks talks about it all the time. Is you talk to your receiver with ball placement, and that's exactly what he did on that play. He put it on his back hip and he was able to then put his feet in the ground, turn back the other way and take off. And that's exactly what you want from your quarterback. The only thing that you could see be a little bit better from Carson is on those deep go routes. I think deep balls in general, he's doing very well, right? Like those deep overs, those post routes, anything where the receiver's running somewhat of an angle, he's hitting them right in stride and he's doing a very good job with it. The only thing that he could possibly improve on is that go route. Is because I think there were two of them yesterday that I remember where he kind of overthrew the guy a little bit on those, and it's just a straight go route. That's other than that, he hits the guy in stride all the time, and he puts them in the right spots to not get their head taken off when they're going over the middle of the field. And it's just it, it's a very impressive thing to watch. And no, you're right, he will be. If he keeps this up, he will have a seat. I'm not saying he wins the Heisman because there's a lot of really good football players out there, but he will be a finalist in New York if he keeps playing like this. There's a reason that Stetson Bennett was a finalist last year because he was doing this exact type of thing. And right now, Carson's on track to do more than what Stetson Bennett had in the entire season. So I think that's a very fair thing to say that it's time to start including him in that conversation and and go ahead and tie off a seat for him in New York because he deserves it. At this point, you've got to admit that he deserves it. I don't know that anybody else out there can say that he's doing something so wrong that he doesn't deserve the spot. I know there are other really good football players out there, and those guys will get their chance to be there as well. But if he keeps up what he is currently doing throughout the rest of the season, like you said, you know, 12 games is the regular season, but he's got at least 13 and 14 games because at, at this point it looks like Georgia's is going to be able to cruise into the SEC championship game and they'll get a bowl game after that. So you're almost guaranteeing him 14 games right now. And then potentially a 15th if Georgia can continue to go towards that national championship goal that they have in Austin this year. So it's, It's a beautiful thing to see a quarterback play this well for Georgia two years in a row. It's something that Georgia hasn't really had this type of level of play. And a lot of Georgia fans were thinking that Georgia wouldn't throw the ball this much just because of offensive play style. But they are throwing the crap out of the ball. He's throwing the ball almost 30 times a game right now. And I know uh, Gary Danielson and them were talking about it last night. And they said that, you know, he was he had had outside of yesterday because yesterday he had 19 completions. He was averaging 20 completions a game or had at least 20 completions a game up to this point. That's insane. I mean, he's throwing 70% completion, whatever that n- number actually is right now. But, I mean, he's he's electric with the ball in his hand.
2: Yeah, I mean, and he's going to have plenty of opportunity down the stretch of the schedule to have those Heisman spotlight moments of against big-time opponents in primetime games, one of them yeah. being this next week against Missouri. 330 CBS game, two ranked opponents. Missouri's playing well. He's going to have an opportunity to continue pushing that narrative, narrative for himself. As far as this deep ball goes, I looked it up today. I think he's 12 for 33 on throws for 20-plus yards or more. Now, five of those are drops. So, I mean, not elite level, not completing them at a consistent rate, but he's doing just enough to make it not a complete issue to where it's like, whoa, this is an actual problem. Just maybe not connecting on those. But, you know, Stetson Bennett kind of had that issue as well early in the 2021 season. People were like, man, he just cannot dial in that deep ball. But then as we got later in the season – Yeah, a touch thing. But as we got later in the season – he continued to excel at that. He continued to get better at it, and that when the playoffs came around, that was not a problem at all. He was consistently locking up on those and connecting with his receivers down the field. Harrison Harrison asked me how many teams this century have ranked number one in third-down efficiency on offense and defense. I haven't looked it up. I can look it up after this, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say nobody has because that is just un- unheard of to be first place yeah. in both of those But Georgia is number one defensively, and right now I think they are number one offensively as well. So they can continue that pace then. They might be the first to do something ever in a very, very long time, just like they have in years past of completing history. Yeah, they definitely will. And Georgia overall had a a
1: nice dominating performance. One thing that I liked seeing, and a lot of times in these rivalry games, you end up with a lot of penalties on both sides, but there were only two on each team. There were a couple more that were declined because the play was successful and so they didn't take it. I know Georgia had a couple that they declined and I know Florida did as well. So there may have um, been a couple more, but it was a fairly clean game that, you know, it was on both sides where it was just a, just play football, line up and play and do what you need to do. And Georgia was able to come out on top by winning by 23. And I think the they were saying it on the broadcast as well was this is the first time in like the the uh, matchup history that a team has won by twenty points. In three consecutive years, Georgia doing that this year by winning by 23. So dominating three years in a row, you know, and since there was a graphic that they put up on the screen and I'm going to pull it up on my phone real quick so I can make sure I say it correctly. And it was talking about since Florida had beaten Georgia in 2020, which was the last regular season loss that Georgia has had. Florida is 21 and 19, 12 and 14 in SEC play, and they've had two head coaches. Georgia is 40 and 1, 25 and 1 in the SEC and two national championships. That tells you the tale of which direction these two teams are going. And I'm not saying that Billy Napier is not going to be able to do well there. It's just going to take some more time for him. And I know a lot of people thought that you know the season was looking okay before this game After until they lost to Kentucky so bad. They weren't having a terrible season after the first game. But mm-hmm. at, at this point, it's just a match of two different levels of football teams right now. And Georgia is just going to continue to roll in the near future against them as well unless something drastically changes next year.
2: Yeah. And I'm going back to the penalties. I'm pretty sure both of Georgia's were delay of games that Georgia just accepted. Like they knew that they were going to take the delay of game and then punt the ball away. So really, Georgia played a completely like free penalty free game, didn't turn the ball over. So just untouchable in that regard of the game. Super disciplined football team as Kirby. Right. Because they had two
1: for 10 yards. So that's exactly what that was.
2: Yeah, so super impressive. I mean, you basically go an entire game, no penalties, a rivalry game where emotions are flying like you didn't have a single penalty outside of two delay of games. Man, that's just elite stuff for a team to go in there and do something like that. The definition of just utter dominance against a big time rival. And yeah, Georgia has absolutely owned this series. Basically, since the Tebow era, Georgia has just kind of taken control over everything. I mean, they lead the series now 40, 56 to 44, I believe. I
1: think that sounds right. And they're also six of the last seven games they've won with the obvious one in between there was 2020, which was a weird year for Georgia, trying to figure some stuff out. So this has definitely been something that Georgia has dominated over the past decade. And it's it's a fun thing to be a part of. And as a fan, I was talking to some other friends and it was like, this is something that like, the the level Georgia's playing at in these rivalry games, you're so used to being like losing these games, especially in the early 2000s. You know where Florida was dominating in the 90s, they were kind of dominating you, and it just it flipped a switch when you got into like the 2010s. You know, and Aaron Murray came down. Jake Fromm was able to do a good a bunch of stuff there, and you know Stetson Bennett had some good games down there as well. And obviously now Carson went down there and and lit it up. And ch- give a little shout out to Christian Kirby. You know he put that article out earlier this week talking about the the first time starts for Georgia quarterbacks and they yeah. weren't very good like over the past decade they have not been very good you know everybody goes in there and struggles some even from the you know he won his first game by a dominating fashion but he only threw the ball what seven times it was <laughs> he ridiculous
2: was 4 for 7
1: yeah I mean, it was it was definitely not a performance that he yeah. was leading Georgia's offense to. So we got to see a quarterback go down there his first time in his home state, in his home city. He's from Jacksonville. So he got to go in there. And he talked about that after the game of how you know emotional it was for him and how excited he was for this game and getting to go down there and play. And he went in there and did it in, in a phenomenal
2: fashion too. just dominated the game from start to finish. Yeah, you know, something I talked about. Or I talked to Christian about when he wrote that article. So I was like, Yeah, you know, you make some great points, but at the same time, a lot of those guys were true freshmen going into that game, making their first start in yeah. the Georgia Florida rivalry. I mean, Jacob Eason was a true freshman, Jake Fromm was a true freshman, Stetson Bennett. Well, he had already been in college for a couple of years, he might as well have been a true freshman that year. That was the first time that he had ever taken like SEC snaps after well, coming from a JUCO school. He was also, al- I think he was winning by
1: 14 when he ended up hurting his shoulder. He was and then 14, after that, and then he got yeah. hurt. And he got hurt. So that game could have gone very different as well before. And that was the 2020 year that we're talking about that. They actually won that game against Georgia. So you take that if he doesn't get hurt and his shoulder gets messed up and he keeps trying to play. That was the thing is he kept trying to play and was in there and he just didn't look right. But so I
2: didn't mean to interrupt you, but that I felt like that was an Mm -hmm. important detail, too. All good, my man. And then Aaron Murray, of course, was a true freshman. Matthew Stafford was a true freshman. So a lot of true freshman guys. And while Carson Beck is his first year making collegiate starts and his first time being the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia, he's a veteran. He plays like a veteran. You can see it in his gameplay. That guy does not play like a guy that is going into his first year playing college football, especially after going three years without playing football, hardly at all. So, big-time difference there. And then, you know, on our show with Brooks, we talked to Aaron Murray every other Monday, and I kind of I gave him some crap for his first career start against Florida. We were asking him to break down his first start, and he was kind of saying, oh, yeah, you know, I threw this touchdown to Tavares King, I believe, and then down late in the game we drove down the field to tie it up and take it into overtime. And I was like, Murray, you threw your first play of the game was an interception. And so he was kind of throwing it back in my face and stuff like that, but <laughs> just had to give him some hell on that. So – but yeah, kind of breaking that trend a little bit. Uh, just I think the biggest thing beto- the biggest difference between Georgia right now and Florida over the past couple of years is you know Florida has great athletes. They have great players. We well, sure. can see that when they play other SEC opponents. Like they're a very up and down team, but in those moments where they do excel, it's like Florida looks a part of a team that should be competing in the SEC, at least in the SEC East, but they're just kind of up and down a lot. And the biggest thing that gets them when they come play Georgia is They just don't have the bodies up front, specifically on the offensive line. That's really been the big factor the past few years is their offensive linemen just aren't on par to compete against Georgia's defensive linemen. And that's really where they struggle, especially a a team like Florida and an offense under Billy Napier, that everything kind of runs off of the run game and that allows Graham Mertz and the the play action game. That's what allows everything else to open up and excel for them, but they just can't get a running game going against Georgia. And if that's the case, then you're not going to have much success against the Georgia defense. And it's a big reason why historically speaking for this rivalry, that whoever leads the game in rushing guards, who's ever winning the trenches, that's typically who wins this football game. And that was yep. exactly the case on Saturday. It definitely wasn't. It
1: looked early that they were going to have some success against Georgia's defensive line running the ball. Because in the first couple of drives, they were moving it very well. And they were actually running up the middle, which is a thing that teams haven't been able to do against Georgia this season, was go up the middle and actually run at you. A lot of the stuff came outside the numbers and through quarterback scrambles and stuff like that as well. But Florida started the game by actually running fairly well. And But late in that game, or as the game progressed in the second quarter, third quarter, they really took away that option for them. And then they were putting a lot of pressure on, on Graham Mertz. I think they got to him four times in the game. And so he was uncomfortable and the defensive line really started to stand up for Georgia. And like I think you're right. I think we've talked about that before as well. Was it, whoever's winning the rushing battle usually wins that game because in this type of game, it always comes down to who can win in the trenches. And then everything else opens up afterwards. If you can run the ball well, guess what? They have to start trying to prepare against it and you can take the top off over them, you know, every time. And it's it's definitely played out in this series against Florida. And Honestly, they had 109 rushing yards. If you were to take away, you know, that late, I think it was the—I want to say it was in the fourth quarter. They had a run. Montrell Johnson had a 48-yard, you know, big run that got him inside the red zone or inside the five, I believe. I think that was in the fourth quarter. If you were to take that away, he would have had—I mean, he had 82 in the game, so he would have had like what 34, something like that. Mm -hmm. If he—if you took that away from him, and uh, it just Georgia dominated that performance. I think they were averaging around 90 ish 92 yards a game on the ground being given up and they only gave up 109 in this one while tallying up 170 on the other side of it so it definitely was a one-sided attack when it comes to that and then obviously Carson Beck was able to make a lot of big plays in the passing game to kind of really solidify Georgia's lead I mean at one point they were up by 30 points and it just felt like you know the game was beyond over, and obviously mm-hmm. Florida didn't quit because, once again, it is a rivalry game. They're not going to just give up. They kept going down the field, kept trying to do what they need to do to make it a little bit more competitive, and they did a good job doing that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the Jimmys and Joes, right? Georgia's got that depth on this roster. We like to say that a lot, right, because that matters. Until Intel Florida can go get a, a few more players here and there to get that recruiting built up over the next couple of seasons in those classes, then these games are going to continue to go this way. They've got a lot of individual players, you know, here and there spread out, but they don't have that depth where they can just plug somebody else in. I mean, even Georgia's offensive line, who had a phenomenal game yesterday, they, I mean, they were plugging players in everywhere. You got Ernest Green in there, you know, Xavier Truss is playing. Micah, uh, Micah Morris was in there a good bit. And then, uh, late in the game, you saw, uh, Monroe Freeling was in the game in that last couple of the drives as well, playing well. So it's when you can plug these guys in and
2: keep them fresh like that. It's it's night and day of what you can accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And Georgia's going to have a big decision offense on the offensive line coming up with Amarius Mims. Sounds like he is going to be back probably against Missouri. There's a chance that he could play uh, this weekend. I didn't ex- probably just was like let's give it another week. We'll see how things go. But I think that. You know, Xavier Xavier Truss has been playing really well at right tackle. Wasn't playing too great at left guard, and so then when they had to make the switch, and they had to move Truss over to right tackle. He's been playing well there. Dylan Fairchild has been playing at an elite level as Georgia's starting left guard. And so hey, there's a big decision to be made. Are you going to keep Dylan Fairchild in, and you're going to tell a five-year starter or a five-year player in Xavier Truss, like, hey – Sorry, we're just going to have to keep you on the bench for now because we have to play a Marius Mims. Like we have to other like that is one of the best tackles in college football. There's no question about what we're going to do with him. Really going to be interesting to see what goes on there. Obviously, there's more report and between the two of Cedric Van Pran and Xavier Trust and those guys because they've been playing together longer. But it's hard to ignore what that offensive line has done since moving Dylan Fairchild yeah. to left guard and not Xavier Truss. So, a big decision coming up there. But that's a good problem to have if you have really good players at multiple positions, no, no. and you have to, yeah, and you have a tough decision to make because the guys are playing well. That's a great problem to have. Um, I do want to get in this college football playoff rankings conversation. I know that Missouri is coming up, and you guys probably want us to preview that game. I did think it was interesting that Georgia is listed as a sixteen-point favorite over Missouri. I think some even have Georgia listed as a 20-point favorite going into this weekend. I think that number is probably going to trickle down just a little bit, probably somewhere similar to where they were against Florida, but big home game for Georgia. Love that it's going to be at home, but another great opportunity to get a big win against a ranked opponent and especially against an offense like Missouri, who's been high-flying under Luther Burden. I mean, that dude is the DNA of that offense, and he's been making big plays. A guy that Georgia almost got. Probably Georgia fans are wishing that they did get him without he's playing out in Missouri. So really interested to see that matchup. But with this coming up on Tuesday, I do think this is the bigger conversation of where do we think Georgia is going to be ranked? Because starting Tuesday, the AP poll and the coaches poll, that all gets pushed aside. That no longer means anything. We don't even peek at that anymore because the rankings are what the college football playoff committee puts them at And I think, at least for this first week, historically, I think what holds a lot of water or, you know, coming into this conversation is strength of schedule, what does your resume look like, who have you beaten, how have you looked in those games, and whatnot, and if that's the case, if that is what they decide to do this week, then I probably think that you see Ohio State in at number one this week. That's They have the best resume in college football. I believe they have the win over against Notre Dame on the road, and then they also beat Penn State as well. So two big wins for them there. Florida State has a decent resume as well with the win over LSU. While that maybe may not look as flashy as it did at the beginning of the season, that's still one of the, the best offense in college football right now. The <laughs> with Jaden Daniels and those guys out there. So big win for them there. But now Georgia's starting to pick up some momentum as well, especially after Saturday, how they looked the part of the number one team in the nation, how they look like the best team in the country. I do think it's hard to ignore what Georgia just did, considering that the biggest question for them going into this weekend was, what are you going to do without Brock Bowers? They more than answered that question. And so I think the committee is going to recognize that. I put it in my predictions article that I do think Georgia remains number one, but we have seen historically in these opening rankings, the committee is not afraid to shift those number one rankings back. That.
1: Yeah and as as we're getting a comment in there in the comment section right now Ohio State has won some big games but they've also looked shaky in a few as but well against teams Exactly but that's what I was going to say though is so they've looked shaky as well but I think that when you come when the AP poll and stuff like that a lot of it is you know a little different than when you sit 12 people down in a room and make them discuss who's going to be the better team and everything like that I think Georgia does remain at the top of this list this week because they were able to come out and dominate Florida. I think that was a huge thing. It showed the, it showed people exactly what you just said was they look the part, right? They've, they've come out and they've had a couple of dominating wins when they needed them. Yeah, they didn't look so great against South Carolina early in the season, but you know then Kentucky came into town. They dominated that game when that was a highly ranked match at the time. Florida down in Jacksonville, who they were only a two-loss team at that time, goes in there and wins by 23. You know, I think that's going to play a big factor in it when they look at it, and I think that you've got to give the edge, like because let's be honest, this is kind of setting the stage for what it's going to go the rest of the time. But this this ranking is is still mean meaningless as well until until you get to December like fifth or whatever it's going to be, whenever after Championship Weekend is over that Tuesday or actually I think it's the Sunday after, isn't it? That they they announce it. It's not even Tuesday after the Championship yeah, Week. Right I think after. they do it Sunday. So when you that's the one that's actually going to matter and it all comes down to I think when you go into this one you've got to give the edge to the team that's coming off back-to-back national championship wins and still looking dominant they're 8 and 0 they've got a dominant win this past weekend so they look the part and yeah they've struggled a couple times but like you said every every big team out there has struggled at times this year and I think Georgia now coming in confidently as a as a number 1 team I I would see them put them at number 1 this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, just go back to last year. Tennessee was number one in the first college football playoff rankings. And coincidentally enough, the AP poll had Georgia's number one. So, you know, is the big number one versus number one. Who's the true best team yep. in the nation? And Georgia went out there and proved to everybody who the best team in the nation was the very next week. So always interesting to see. I know this first one, at least for this very first one, it's more It all it is is a TV show. That's basically all it is. They're warning the ratings. They're going to pull you in. It's going to start at seven. The rankings aren't going to be shown until 730. You're going to have Kirk Herbstreet and all the boys on there talking about who's going to be number one for 30 minutes and giving you every single scenario and making the case for every single person to be the number one team in the country. And like you said, this week, while it does mean something, it's always interesting to see how the committee sees your team right now. You know, up to this point, more than halfway through the season, how do they value your wins up to this point? How do they envision you right now? It's always interesting to see and how you can improve upon. But nonetheless, what happens this week versus where you're going to be December 6th, when the rankings come out officially to see who's going to be in the college football playoff, it really doesn't matter. But yeah, I, I think my prediction was Georgia's going to be number one, Ohio State number two, Florida State number three, and then Michigan coming in at number four. Because regardless of what we want to say about Michigan right now, regardless of the jokes that we want to make, they have one of the best – They statistically, they have one of the best offenses and the best defense in the country right now, and that's they've won every game convincingly regardless of how weak the schedule is. But I think it is the weakness of the schedule that is going to make them come in at number four. So, But that's all I'll say about Michigan right now. As far as Florida State, they have the resume. And this week, they finally look like a team that is worthy yeah, of did. a college football playoff spot.
1: They finally had a, a, a solid win where they didn't seem like they struggled and came just between their teeth right there. And, you know, it, it just – scraping through but yeah Michigan's an interesting one we won't get into like all the details of it but I'm honestly curious to see what the college football playoff committee does because they have some say they have a little bit more power I think that they end up in the top 4 but it'll be interesting to see how they talk about it and what their decision process is because Right now, Michigan could get in a lot of trouble with the NCAA before the season's even over because of everything that's going on. So you don't even know if they're going to be bowl eligible when it all is said and done, honestly, because there is some pretty scandalous things going up, going on about them right now. So, But maybe they just kick the can, that, which is likely what they will do well, this year. Just keep on kicking it down the can, you know, the can down the road and, and just let everything play out this year. And then they'll end up stripping a bunch of wins
2: from them next year and all that good stuff. Well, you know, this broke actually like basically right when you and I were going live. But Michigan has pulled Jim Harbaugh's new contract offer that would have made him the highest paid Big Ten coach. So and they say that is directly in correlation to what is going on right now off of the field for Michigan. So probably doing some quality control, saying like, hey, we're doing what we can to kind of handle this situation in-house so you don't have to step in. But definitely some. Touchy sketchy waters going on up there in michigan nonetheless but you know dan makes a great point in the comments as well he says you know just go look at last week's first week of college football playoff rankings the first four teams that are put in the top four have never all four made the college football playoff and so that's very telling to know like just how much you should read into these. I know Georgia fans love the thing of don't put us at number one because we love the chip, the good old chip on our shoulder. We love the extra motivation from Kirby Smart of them saying they don't even see you as the best team in the country. So now you have something to go prove. Probably still doesn't mean anything. I think we have seen. I mean, heck, Georgia has the longest streak right now of number one week or weeks ranked as number one in the AP poll. And like, I can't even remember the number. It's like over twenty right now. I want to say. Somewhere around 25 or something like that at this point. Something ridiculous. So obviously they don't need any extra motivation to know and prove that they are the best team in the country. But really interested to see how it goes on. It's going to be great because our show, of course, that we do with Brooks, it'll be right before we go live. So we'll be able to immediately react to that. I know Dan and Harrison will get an immediate reaction to that as well when their show goes live. So just great content to talk about this week as well. But yeah, I do do think that Georgia will remain number one just because I don't know that there is much of a case to not have them at number one right now. But I think worst case scenario, Georgia gets slid in at number two. I do know that there's some conversation of people saying that they should be in the four through six range. I don't see a world where that exists. I don't think any team, I don't think Georgia looks like the number four or six best team in the country right now. You can't tell
1: me like in that guy. I could see them potentially sliding them back a spot and putting them at number two. I don't think they could uh, they would go any lower than two because the other the the other teams they would definitely be in the in the top four. But I don't think that you would put FSU in front of them or Michigan in front of them right now. And you dagum can't tell me that four or five different teams would beat Georgia right now if you were to line them up and make them play. So they if they were to put them outside the top four would just be. Asinine. I mean, it, it wouldn't make any sense. And these guys aren't dumb. They know what they're. You know, they they know what this team is. You, Georgia's passing the eye test. They love to talk about that, right? The eye test is important. And Georgia this week, coming off of a dominant win, twenty three points in a big rivalry game against a team that only had two losses at the time, is showing that you are passing the eye test. They have looked dominant in games that they needed to look dominant in. And now this weekend, it's after the rankings come out. But like you said, you get now you get Missouri at home. It's a big ranked matchup. It, it kind of has a lot of implications on who's going to win the East this year. Because say Georgia were to slip up in this game, all of a sudden Missouri is in the driver's seat for the SEC East title. Yep. You know, and they they've got the chance to go to Atlanta. Now they've got a rough schedule coming up with some big opponents. But so does Georgia. You know, if Georgia were To win again, I think to lock up the East, Georgia has to beat Missouri, and they have to beat Ole Miss, and at that point, they would lock it up. Doesn't matter what Tennessee does or anything like that at that point. But they've still got a tough little stretch to to prove that they should be the number one team. And like we said a minute ago, it's this one is it's fun to see because it kind of shows where your team is in the national media perspective and where they put you, but. All you got to do is win your games. If you win, they can't keep you out. So you'll be in the playoffs. And if you're somehow not the number one team in the nation when the the playoffs start, well, as long as you're in the top four, don't worry about it. You line up
2: play football and get to the national championship again and do what you do. Uh, Yeah, you'll continue to bet on the coach that is undefeated in semifinal playoff games. He's never lost a semifinal playoff game. So you'll take the bet on Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs every single time, regardless of what that little number says next to their name when they get in there you'll continue to bet on Kirby Smart and his team to get the job done. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to everybody that's been in the comments section. tonight. You guys have been great. But I'm also going to give a specific shout-out to Jenna. You were in here last week, and now you're back in here again, and you continue to bring the juice. Just letting the takes fly, wearing your emotions on your sleeve as a Georgia fan, as you should because you are fanatical. We love seeing that. Dan and Zach, all of you guys have been great of continuing to – continuing to join in on the conversation stumbled over my words a little bit that we love that that helps the channel continue to grow. You guys showed great support on our episode last week. We gained quite a few subscribers that um, video got nearly 2000 views, one of our best videos in a long time. So we love seeing you guys' feedback. We love seeing that you're enjoying the content and we're going to continue to bring it each and every week and hopefully continue to react, react to these great wins that Georgia continues to rack up every single week. And next week, Maybe we'll be talking about the number one team in the nation again coming off of a big win against the Missouri Tigers at home. Great to see a uh, really great to see a great environment being able to have in San Francisco again this year. You know, the home games over the past couple of years didn't look too great. You know, weren't able to really get like those true home environment games outside of a Tennessee game. And a couple others sprinkled in there. But this year, the home games have not disappointed. They've no, continued they to bring in some ranked opponents. We're going to get two big ones these next week against Missouri and then Ole Miss right after that. So great opportunity for Dog Nation to show just how elite they are. Starter, you got anything else to add? No, that's all I got, man. All right, well, I'm going to continue on my little rant of you guys continuing to support this channel. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Continue to do all of that good stuff for us. We're steadily growing. We're steadily going up on the uphill climb throughout this season, and those numbers are continuing to go climb each and every week. So we're glad that you guys are enjoying the content, like I said earlier. So be sure to keep pouring into this channel, supporting this channel, supporting us. It really means a lot to us that you guys show up every single week to listen to us ramble on about Georgia football, the team that you love. So like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. Our handles are listed right there below. If you are interested in doing that to stay updated on the channel and everything, Stoddard, you can close us out as
1: always keep it classy in the classic city we will see you next week
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of classic city sports Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Two stores, which expresses of the entire Bulldog Nation.